Hi. Hi. Welcome to Something Along the Lines, episode two, season two, the juicy season. <laughs> the juicy season. This season, we really wanted to focus on um, just some some content that was a, a little different. And in um, this episode, we we do an interview about trans visibility with Risha Mamala. And we really ask her, it's like a tell-all. Mm-hmm. So it's super like, we ask her everything mm-hmm. that we ever wanted to know. Yeah, we sat in her house on her couch and just did a full interview style and it was so vulnerable. It was so um, impactful. And it was just truth, based in truth. And we learned so honestly, much. Yeah, we just feel like we are so grateful for Raisha's mm-hmm. story to be shared. And to share it with all of you. Yeah. And, and really her whole her whole thing for even saying that she would do this was so that she could like educate people on on things that she knows about. Mm-hmm. So this is this is our kind of our dedication yes. to this community and that we see you and we see what you're going through and this is our opportunity to share those stories with everyone. Yes. So hope you enjoy. Welcome to something along the lines. We're here with Raisha and we have a really compelling episode today. And um, as we're kind of going into it, I I just asked if Raisha could kind of share with us um, where she's from and just give us a little bit of like how, where she grew up, how she grew up, kind of what her family like. Up on um, the west side of Oahu in a small town called Nanakuli. Um, my parents purchased our first home back in 95, um, in the Hawaiian home subdivision, Princess Kahano Estates, mm. um, where I went to school at Nanakuli Elementary. We had two elementary schools. We had, um, Nani Kapono Elementary and, um, anybody who lived on Hawaiian Homestead basically went to, um, Nanakuli Elementary. Mm. So you guys were on, your family's on Homestead? Yes. Oh, okay. From your mom's side or your dad's side? From my dad. So they, um, my dad actually helped build the subdivision. Wow. Hawaiian Dredging has a contract and my dad was um, a laborer for Hawaiian Dredging. So um, our house was kind of like command central, like my dad would bring home like his golf carts <laughs> like you know yeah. at the end of his we, shift I so i know <laughs> yeah we, no we were, see them no like yeah. i want i feel like it is like that like yeah there's this one house that like just has all of the the command central like you said so growing up in Anakuli was a little bit different we came from kalihi where you know we lived in like a big house that had um, multiple units attached to it, like Ohana's and studios. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived on the second floor and we had the entire second floor. It was a three bedroom, one bath house. 
moving to Nanakuli, we moved into a four bedroom, two bath home. A mm. um, little bit different, you know, like we never really grew up having a lot of friends like in the city in Kalihi where like, you know, we had like one or two, but when we moved out to Nanakuli, um, you immediately kind of gained like a family mm. um, essence of like knowing everybody who lives in the neighborhood and it was a brand new you know subdivision so everybody is like you know who is who and where they're from mm -hmm. um so you know like we used to go outside play basketball or we would play football and it was like the entire block of kids that you know would come and join so like you knew everybody that was in the neighborhood um I think in our neighborhood was definitely, you know, just more of a pleasant experience versus um, on the outside of the neighborhood. Um, mm. For more of the people who are like born and raised um, in Nanakuli, and um, I will say right outside of Princess Kahano, um, there's a place called Dirt Lane, which is like it stems very old like the houses are quonset um houses oh. so it's it's like literally like a it looks like a half can like oh. that just goes right over and like you know this is where like the real people of you know the real struggle that you know struggles to survive that's you know that's where they live so you know i think overall of outside of our subdivision is you know where it becomes a little bit more rowdy mm -hmm. and you know people who um, are just not uh, cultured to the type of lifestyle that you know just a normal lifestyle I should say mm -hmm. to you know just know what's not right from wrong but just you know yeah like I think that I mean just I feel like the west side kind of has its reputation um like for being a place where people have really struggled um especially the native Hawaiian community mm -hmm. and but then like i feel like all the people that i know from the west side like are some of my favorite people mm -hmm. still really grounded in community still like really connected do you feel like that is i mean kind of from what you're saying though too it's like you were in like a new kind of like a new development of Nanakuli, do you, um, like, was it still pretty rough growing up there? Well, I think at that age, you're still young, so you don't get to really experience much, I would say. So you're a little bit on the more sheltered side still because you're not really able to venture out into, like, your own. I think I was nine years old. So I think elementary was, you know, pretty smooth sail for me, like, was all the neighborhood kids. Mm -hmm. um, school, you know, I don't think it was as rugged or anything. I think it really, you once you hit intermediate, so the high school, Nanakuli High School is an intermediate and high school, so it goes oh. from 7th grade to 12th grade. So it's like, once you get into 7th grade, it's like, whoa. You're in high school, pretty much. You know, you're just there, so... I think that's where you start to see like the real or the true colors of you know everything you know like nothing's you know filtered it every you get everything raw and 
what you get is what you get. And I think that's kind of where, you know, things kind of just, you got, you got to see like people fighting in school and, you know, you, you, you get to see people who get harassed in school and growing up, you know, I still know a few people who were in school that actually, um, are transgenders today. And, you know, like I see them in public and, um, I don't, I'm sure most of you guys know, but um, Kylie West Williams is her stage name. Um, she actually um, went to Nanakuli High School. I remember her. Um, one of a dear sister of mine's. Um, she was um, a cheerleader, but she transitioned after high school. Oh. Um, was it like a common... Like, did you, when you were growing up, were there, like, were there other openly trans people in the Nanakuli community? Or was it just, like, like, how was that? You know what I mean? Like, how was it? Like, did you, like, how you were saying, transition after, like, kind of actually became well-known mm-hmm. after, but, like, growing up, was that something accepted in Nanakuli? You know, I want to say... For me, I, I didn't transition to after high school. So, you know, although I was very feminine and people, you know, it was very clear to people that, you know, I wasn't your your typical guy that, you know, played on the football team. You know, everybody knew I was super feminine. You know, I had like a very loud personality, you know, and a lot of people respected me, you know. But I think... You know, what I tell people who grow up today that, you know, it's really embracing and embodying what you are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because I knew I was gay or I knew I wanted to be like transsexual, like the troublemakers in school only could tease you to us or harass you to a certain extent mm. because, you know, like. They would say, oh, you and Mahu, or, oh, you gay, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it. like, it's, yeah. it's, so it's what? you know, like, yeah. oh, that's old news, like, everybody know, yeah, you know, exactly. so, they really didn't have anything to vibe off of, mm-hmm. so the harassment came to very minimum, because it was like, yeah, he gay and what, like, yeah. it's old news. But I think once you start to tell them that you're not, and they know you are. Right, like hide or like try to shade yes. or whatever. Then then people wanting to get like delve deeper. They want to attack you. Mm. Did you feel like that, like you were so, like you had, you were really grounded in that because your family was really supportive? Like did your family support all of that that you were in high school? So in high school, it's super weird. Um, never really, f- like, there was never, like, really mindset of for me to, like, transition in high school. I think my dad was very, he was very stern. Like, he said to me that um, as long as I live under his roof, I would live as his son. Mm. So I kind of respected that. You know, like, I never, I never did cross the line to trying to transition earlier for say um 
I did have girl clothes. I did have like high heels. Um, and I did like dress out when we used to go out at night, you know, but I never did like really dress, um, as trans to school. Like, my senior portraits was at a, as, you know, a young man. Mm. And, you know, I graduated as a young man. I had short boy cut hair. And, like, really, the excitement of transition never started until after I graduated. Mm. Because then did you move out, like, after high school? So, I did move out. Um, I stayed there for, like, a year. Okay. Until I could kind of really get a feel, like, you know, like, financially, you know? Yeah. Knowing that leaving home, you know, it's like you have to be independent. Right. You know, you you need to make enough money to have your own place. So I think that's where, you know, I kind of was gearing up to get to. And I think I made, like, the most... Some people will say dramatic leap. <laughs> But I I didn't only move out, I actually moved to Maui. Mm. Oh, that's where you left. That's where you did your leap. You wow. So I I think I was twenty. I was twenty years old when I came over this way. And it was two years out of school. I was when I was in school. I mean, after I graduated from school, I was working at the airport. And I was catching the bus to and from work. And I was, I started like very slowly transitioning, Mm -hmm. like at work. So, like, it went from my hair was growing. So, like, you know, that was like one of the turning points. And then I started to wear makeup to work. And then. You know, I would wear a bra under my shirt and like people would see like this, the simple changes. Mm-hmm. And then I would say within like six months from this job, I ended up um, picking up and leaving and I ended up moving to Maui. Mm-hmm. And I think Maui was just, I had friends that moved to Maui in August and then I came up in December I was working for the airlines. I was going back and forth. And I just kind of came to terms like, I'm always here. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a great, you know, like foundation or support team here that, you know, if there's ever a time to do it, like now is the time. And I picked up and I left. I remember, I never told my mom that I was doing it January, but I still had stuff at home. But like I just was like, oh mom, I'll, I'll be a, I'll be a Maui. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't it wasn't really anything because I was working for the airline, so I was already traveling. Yeah, it wasn't like this drastic. Like, yeah. Was like, Hell yeah. And then um, August. No, no, I'm sorry, not August. March. March came, and then I just told my mom like, oh mom, I'm moving to Maui. Mm. So like I just March. I remember I made it official like. I'll be living on Maui, mom, and that's it. And then I think that's where it really started. Um, I worked for Labor Ready, um, doing like basically like half administrative duties and then half like 
um, outside washing cars. So like I would help at the rental car facility. I would just drive the rental cars through the car wash and then um, park them on the ready line and then give the key to the front agent so that they could re-rent the cars. So my friend was working in that organization. So I did that for like three months. And then um, within that time frame, I was able to purchase my first car. And then I was like, okay, you know, like things are coming together. And then um, after that, then I got my first permanent job in transportation because when I left Oahu, before I went to the airlines, I was working for Robert Hawaii. So I applied for dispatcher in Maui and I got hired at um, Polynesian Adventure Tours where I worked for maybe like three months. And then um, Akina Aloha Tours um, That's right. recruited me. That's right. So they offered me more money nice. to, <laughs> to make the jump. And that's what I ended up doing was I ended up going to Akina. So when I, f I think Polynesian Adventure Tours was probably my first 100% transsexual like job mm. so like I was a hundred percent so like my commitment to myself leaving Oahu was that I was gonna transition a hundred percent so I left all you know all the boys clothes behind and I came up with a suitcase of whatever girl clothes I had right and then anything you bought from here on out was gonna be yes clothing and so yeah, it was almost like a physical and like a metamorphosis change of like so I think this moving islands was really yeah. a lot easier for me because nobody knew me as my childhood, right? Mm -hmm. So any the only people that knew was my core people. So I lived with four people. You know, it was a couple and then um, two of my um, girlfriends and we stayed there for like six months and then we left there and then we all moved into a big house together and then you know from there that's how it just all started where yeah. we just followed as roommates so like from Pukalani was where we moved into the house together I want to say for a good eight years we stayed together wow. the core of the group so we went from Pukalani we went to Kihei. The Kihei was like just two of us because the other two moved off island. And then one of the two moved back. Then we moved into another place in Kihei, another big house. And then Kihei, we went to Wailuku Heights. Wailuku Heights was another blowout with the household. So we split the household. <laughs> and then we went... I went to Kahului and then my other friend went to um, Kihei. It was funny, like, we called it like his closet because he was never at the Kihei apartment. Yeah. He would always come to our place in Kahului. So he was pretty much with us, um, you know, through that time. Um, was anybody else transgender in that group? Yeah. So actually, one, so the two guys that um, was the couple, they're a gay couple. Um, 
another girl, I'm not, um, her name was Jaya West Williams. She was in the other like room. Like her real name? Um, that's like her stage name. Okay. Her, her day name is Gerald. So she was like more like, um, like a, I don't want to say cross dresser because it's not what she is. But at that time, you know, she, that's kind of what she was. Like she would go work as a guy during the day mm. and at night she would, um, cross dress, you know, in, in like female clothing and she would go out and then she would do things along the lines as like a drag queen where mm -hmm. she would perform, she would oh. do shows, right? And then the other girl that lived there was actually like my drag niece. Her name is Tiari Larige. So, you know, that was like my my support yeah. group. And that then we had um our dear friend Seaward who like Cece? Yeah, Cece. That's she's like Mother Queen. So like, to, oh. so like to this day, like, she's really like my sister, but like, we just always refer to her as mother queen because she was like the house mother to all of us. You know, I think when we moved to country, she moved with us, you know, mm -hmm. and I think, um, me and Cece stayed together all the way to like the eight years. Oh, yeah. And kind of like like on that sort of topic like because you came here like you came did you come here as Risha then like when you when you weren't worked for Polyad like when you like did you were you Risha already or did you did that happen during those eight years that you decided to become that so I guess like where that question was like that's kind of going back to the first question is like what was who were you before you came to Maui? Like, what was the name that you had before you came to Maui? And then, like, how did you turn into Raisha? Like, how did you, how did Raisha? Yeah, how did you land on Raisha? Yeah, how did you land on Raisha? So my birth name was Ray Mamala, mm. and my dad named me after his best friend, who actually um, died in a car accident. Mm. Um, his name was Raymond. Okay. So I was named after my dad's best friend. When I was working for Go Airlines, that was the last company I was working for before I moved to Maui. That was like the, the turning point where I wasn't a hundred percent. Like I started off work, you know, still as a young man. But I was still trying to find mm -hmm. myself and trying to really like include the 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 trans of you know transitioning in that stage. But so of course some days you would get makeup and some days you didn't. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, depends on the mood. Some <laughs> and the timing. <laughs> some days you would have nice hair and some days yeah. you would have the bun. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think that was definitely like the the starting of it. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved over to Maui, that was the commitment of Risha. So, my name Risha came because I have a drag sister that her name is Jaisha. Okay. And she spells her name J A I S H A. 
So, you know, like everybody knew. Back then, people would call me Ray Ray. That was like my 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 name back then. It was like Ray Ray. And then, you know, like... Like even as a even as a guy? Yeah. yeah so, okay. it was like my nickname. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so know. like everybody just called yeah. you Ray Ray. Yeah. So like I, I would go to the club and they're like, Ray Ray. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so everybody knew me as Ray Ray. Like that was my, my name. And I think where I was transitioning on a professional standpoint, like I wanted to have a more feminine name and I mm-hmm. felt like Ray Ray was like not really defining that feminine side. So it's like it could go either way and I wanted to steer away from that. Right. right? I can see that. Like so I wanted it to be more distinct. Yeah. I had this sister. She's my drag sister. Her name was Jaysha. And I was like, okay, I, I can be Raysha. Yeah. <laughs> Our stage names, so like when we go, you know, into drags, um, our mother queen, she's Shay Shayler Rage, and she spells it X I E X I E. My sister' stage name is Shushu X I U X I U. I love it. And then my stage name is Jaja X I A X I A. Oh, got it. it. Got it. Uh, totally, totally. Okay, so in sort of this, um, have you ever seen Jaja? Have you ever? Have you? Have oh you yes, I've seen, seen one. Stage? Yes, I have. I have seen. I have seen her. I have seen I her. See Give her. No, you did, Gina. Didn't we go to that one that one time? It was like oh, at, at the Kiki yes, Center. Yes, and okay, I, it's coming back. Yes, oh. yes, that was such a good show. So I just fun. felt like why are um, we doing those again? I don't like, know. Well, not well, like because of COVID, but like. That needs to happen again. I gave so much money that night. Like, let's just talk about the yes, fundraising yes, aspect. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that actually kind of takes us into... No, totally. Well, and just also because, like... I was having so much fun. Like, it it appears as though that these were, like, your mentors and your colleagues. Like, did you naturally go into, like... Is it showgirl? Is it showbiz? Is it... Was that... Like, did you just naturally go into that? Did somebody peer pressure you to go into that? Like, is that... because yeah, not every person wants to be Yeah, so, like, how did you... How did you become Well, I think, showgirl? so, from my my drag house, House of La Rage, so, my mother queen is, like, a club kid, so, mm. it's, it's, like, I mean, I don't even know how to define club kid to you. It's, like drags on steroids okay so it's like where they take drags to like the next level and it's really like club kids is like some people would refer to them like more of like cross dressers where they only do it like at night Mm -hmm. you know in the essence but they take it to the extreme right you know like we'll do we'll do a smoky eye they'll do like a blackout Right. You know, yeah. like yeah. they they just take it to the next level, and they really bring out the drag in drag, and it's like they don't care what people thinks. You know, their fashion, and like their probably their goal is that for people to stare at them. You know, it's mm. like that's the level of 
you know, like seriousness of their costuming. They just already come out in pasties or something. Yeah? I mean, what like, it's what most of them, most of them, Feathers. it's not even like they don't have because they're not they're cross dressing. Right. Oh, so yeah, you know, like you know, now, right, and then like yeah. full blown, yeah, full blown transformation mm-hmm. in the. Huh. When I was growing up, um, Queen Mother, so. We'll just back it up a little so you guys get a better um, understanding. So, my queen mother, Shay Shay LaRage, is actually my blood uncle. Okay. So, I grew up knowing the headline show okay. queens, the the stage presence, because uncle was, uncle ran pageants as well as he built headgears for the pageants. So, like, Growing up, I was able to see um, Auntie Jamie Yoshiko Shiro, like she's she's she won Continental, and that's like a big pageant in the United States that all of these girls you know run for this pageant. I think you know I'm not like certain, but I want to say there's only like a handful of girls who actually won the title. The people that I can name is Yoshiko Shiro and, um, oh God, she's from Waimanalo. Oh. Um, Sasha Kobe's. Those are the only two people from Hawaii that I can name that ran the, that won the pageant. I can name other girls that ran the pageant. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, Kaina Jacob, she took first runner up. And that was her first time ever running Continental. Like, it was definitely, like, heartbreaking for us because she's, like, the most humble person and, like, mm. so down-to-earth. And, like, everybody just wanted it for her. Yeah. You know, like, everybody wanted it. But she's so humble about it. Like, she didn't win, but she's gained so much in that process of going for that title. Do you think... So, like, because there's a difference between transgender and being a cross-dresser, is there in the, in sort of that, like, drag showgirl community, like, is it, is everyone just mixed? I feel like it's kind of mixed. Like, there are some showgirls who, like, um, look like they're transitioning. And then there are some that are still men by day. Is that, is that correct? Is that what is, or, or what is, what makes a showgirl? So anybody can be a showgirl, right? So basically, in the eyes of like the trans community, a showgirl is just like an entertainer. Mm-hmm. So you have to have that talent to entertain, to you know, to lip sync, mm-hmm. to dance, to put on a show. Get that money, honey. You know, body, yeah. and there's there's people who has that talent, and there's people that don't, mm-hmm. and that's really you know. I think it's for not just about getting up on stage. Yeah, like, definitely yeah, not. About, like, because so because they're the first to tell you that you look like a joke on stage. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. They're you the, know, the first to tell you. Like That's awesome. it's, I mean, I want to say my first time on stage was like maybe twenty, my twenty first birthday. Oh, shit. Um, I performed in Venus, and um, 
I performed a slow number. I can't tell you what I was wearing. <laughs> I was wearing one of um, Jaya's step-down gowns. It was like a half top with like a bell sleeve and a long gown. It was black and red with a train. And, was um, it like, what are we talking, red velvet? Are we talking sequins? No, it what? was it was like a stretchy material, but it was like, like a... a f- a floral, okay. but very subtle. Yeah, um, <laughs> very subtle. <laughs> but, no, it wasn't crazy. No, trust me, I remember this gown, and like it was just all starting from like you know just, just playing around in yeah. like the closet and, yeah. you know like just having fun and dressing. And um, Jaya was actually, she was into showgirl, you know, and she was actually running pageant. So there was a lot of stuff that she would wear. That like she would have and I'd be like, oh, sissy, let me borrow this. Let me yeah. use this, you know, because she was more advanced in that area. Right. So like I could lip sing, you know, I could do it, but I just never really put myself out. Like, so t- to this day, I never ran a pageant. Mm. Meaning you didn't go into one. I never competed. Competed. Yes. Competed. When you, when you show girl, like how much, how much money, like what is how much money do you guys make doing that or can make or well, like you know i mean i'm, I'm not gonna lie so maui i would say so a club scene versus a party scene mm. is definitely two different demographics yeah. yeah so i never really had the opportunity to like of course i made money the fir- my first show because it was my birthday and everybody saw me on stage and like Your everybody, twenty first birthday. Yes. Like, so it. like I made all of this money on stage because it was my birthday and everybody came to support me. But like as a regular showgirl, I mean, I I remember at Venus Nightclub, I remember giving tips to Stacy Jacobs, Madeline Ashton, Hawaii Sex Goddess, <laughs> um, like yes. those. Those were like the top two people that like I was racing to the stage to give them my yeah. dollar. But like I think for them, you know, like I would say, you know, like just my experience, I, I would say in one song they could make like a hundred fifty to two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You know? And then like for me when I came into the biz I shouldn't say the biz, but into showgirl, um, we went to Gian Don's and Gian Don's had shows. So there was like two types of shows. There was like the, the, the girly show. And then there was like another, I don't even know what the name of the other show was. And I'm so bad because I was in that show, <laughs> but <laughs> But what is true about this show is that the girly show was like all of the young, the young kids that were like super skinny and anorexic and like they just had like, like just like the more, I'm not gonna say hourglass figure, but like they were just more thin. And I was the person where, um... I already had my breast implants. I already had surgery. So I was a little bit more comfortable in my skin, right? Mm-hmm. Where I could wear something with nice cleavage. Yeah. And I would wear something that was midriff 
where I would show my stomach and people would look at me like, oh, you're fat. Like, you don't have, like, abs. But, like, I wasn't, I wasn't fat. You know what I mean? Like, I was a thick girl. But it wasn't, like, crazy, like, where my belly was hanging over my short, my my pants or anything like that. But that was just, like, the stereotype of women me not being a part of the girly show because no, I, I I I personally feel they never came forward and told me it's because you're fat but it's because I wasn't the look of the show mm. you know it's yeah. like they wanted that more thinner yeah. statuous kind of girls but in my opinion they were all butch queens and I was <laughs> yeah. so they were all cross dressers yeah. and I was a transsexual so you know it's different th- that's f- that was the way I identified yeah and why I wasn't a part of them mm-hmm. um hence why I don't look like them so I in, in my cast we had I had like all the old timers which they were cross dressers but I think in Maui that was really the demographic mm. at that time I could say I could only I couldn't even name on one hand the amount of people that was actually full-time transsexuals what was that time too though was like what year can you give us like a year so Gian Don's was maybe right at about maybe 2008 2009 okay why does Gian Don sound so familiar where was that Arisha so it's um, across St. Teresa's in Kihei, but a little bit more up. Oh, it's the where a pe- spa, spa, the, the spa medi. Spa. Oh, oh my Across yes. the Kihei vet- yes. veterinarian. Yes, it used to be like Marcos too. Yes. Yes. So it was Marcos when they got the divorce. She took that one. The husband kept okay. the one in Kaului. She renamed Gian Don's. That's right. I feel like when I came back from college... And, like, we were all, like, going on, and I came back to Maui, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm back on Maui. And then I went there, and I saw Tyson, and I saw Daryl. <laughs> like, reunited. Like, I hadn't seen them since we had all graduated. Yes. And, I I mean, I, I mean, anyway. I don't, I don't know. If it's, anyway. That, that is actually how me and Tyson got really, really close. Oh, From yes. those outing from days. From those days. From yes. those days. And... Were you know how you were talking about like because I kind of I we kind of did want to talk about like the ups and downs of transitioning mm-hmm. and like I know yeah I have a question too go oh. ahead no keep going oh well I was just gonna say like um because you were talking about like I mean you had already like some people were just cross dresses like you say but like you already got you already had boobs mm-hmm. and like. Like, how was that? Like, where do you go? Like, can you just go... Because, like, so I'm like, can you just go to any plastic surgeon? Or do you have to go to a special one? Right. And you and you really you... can go to anyone, right? But it comes down to who your... Who you want. Yeah. Well, who you want, right? Who, who you want. friends or people recommend. I would say, for me, the at that time, the going place that everybody was going for plastic surgery was Thailand. So one, it's because it's cheap. Uh Two, it's that multiple girls grow at the same time. You get a discount. So it was like you get more bang for your buck. Mm. 
So I want to say I was really um, one of my aunties that live here. We used to call her Hasi Momo, but her name is Stacia. <laughs> um, Auntie Stacia, and she, love her, bless her heart. But so she, <laughs> she really was like that person for me that really kind of mentored me into like emailing the doctor, mm. you know, doing your consultation. Yeah, just like mom up there, kind of. Do your get more information. Your research. Yeah. So that's when I started my steps to um going to get my breast implants how old were you oh god 20 23 yeah so i got breast implants at 23 um but i think the the most like what i'm proud about it is that i traveled to a foreign country oh you got it in thailand i got it in thailand were you gonna say by yourself? By myself. Wow. All by yourself, like you didn't. So we didn't do the two for two for one. Yeah. You so know you know, I, we were I got a I got a super good deal. Okay. So my breasts, I paid, I got quoted thirty four hundred for my breast implant. Seems like a deal. Because I was flying for Hawaiian, and if I hit twenty segments in a year. They just opened their Philippines flight. So I had a free trip on Hawaiian Airlines oh. to the Philippines. My friend, one of my roommates, um, he sponsored my hotel oh. for my entire stay in Thailand. And then um, he paid for my um, my flight from Philippines to Thailand, which was like oh. $300. So like all around, you know, like I, I paid for, you know, my breasts, but like it, all of my support crew yeah. really came through, you know, like I, so I went there, it was a Thanksgiving. I left on a Friday. Um, I got into Bangkok on a Saturday evening. I just, I slept that night. The next day I got up, I just kind of like roamed the town. It was like my one day that I had. Yeah. And then Monday, I got picked up at 9 a.m. I went to the hospital, did blood, um, had my consultation. And by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I went under the knife. So operated and then... I overnighted in the hospital. Um, Tuesday, um, I woke up in bed. Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock after dinner, I got discharged and I went back to my hotel. And then when I got back to my hotel, I stayed there. I slept overnight. And then um, one of my brothers came. Like my drag, no, he's not even my drag brother. He's like really like just a dear friend, but he flew in. Um, so I guess what one day after out of surgery, I, I did somebody did come to, um, stay yeah, stay with me to kind of like help me. Did you need help? Um, yeah, because you like I couldn't like lift anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But let me tell you, he came in. I sent like a private car to go pick him up from the um, airport. Um, I remember that day getting out of that bed. It was like the hardest thing ever. Ooh. Like laying flat to come up in the yeah. formation. Like it was just like so painful. But he came in. We had breakfast. And like... I just wrote out like I was like a champ like right like I never just had surgery and I was like we're going like we went and we went shopping oh. like I didn't like, carry I'm nothing I'm gonna need some new clothes yeah I'm no totally <laughs> no I I probably bought like so much stuff I mean like awesome. come on like I was getting shoes for like a dollar. Yeah, I was right. getting oh, yeah. for like oh, a dollar. Yeah. Like, well and then and probably like him coming in too was like like just yes, like mm-hmm. like lifting your spirits. Yeah. Like lifting your spirits and you're like, No, I did this. And you're probably on some good payments. Yeah. <laughs> I was all like bandaged up. Yeah. Like I, like I never even see it yet. Wow. So I, I didn't get to see it until my first follow-up when he took off the bandage. Which, so you oh. stayed there that whole time? Yeah. So I stayed there for a total of 10 days. Okay. Yeah. And then you go back regular, yeah. like... So I did, I did, so hospital visit, three visits total. So I did two follow-ups. So mm-hmm. surgery and then two follow-ups. And then on my third, on my second visit, my second follow-up is when he approved me to fly back. Was it scary at that hospital or was it just regular? You know what? Everybody is like, were you scared? Like, you're yeah. in a third world country. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's dirty. I mean, I remember walking into the front of the hospital and the staircase in the hospital was a glass staircase. Where you could see right through. What? Yeah. Like, like, actually, I actually, no, I'm recommending everybody <laughs> right. go to the Like, I, t- I tell people this. Like, I feel like this hospital that I w- walked into was like walking into Hawaii Prince. Yeah. <laughs> what I remember when I um, came out of surgery and I was in my room, I woke up and I had like a, um, like a sofa couch in my room I had like a flat in your hospital room in my hospital room I had like a sofa couch I had uh, like a 42 inch flat screen TV and like this is you know like this is not even 2000 yet yeah and I mean I'm sorry it is but it was not 2000 it's like 10 years ago you know but so I just was so amazed by like the technology that was there. Yeah. And then the icing on the cake was I didn't have one nurse. I didn't have two nurses. I had three nurses that came. They came to my door and they would they would address me and they would bow at my door before they come in. <laughs> I mean, it's not funny. It's just I love I mean like uh, no, just come in if you're yeah. gonna, uh, whatever you want. <laughs> like, what are you doing? There's something on the floor. Yeah. Oh, you're bound. No, I'm okay. So, you know, it's yeah. like. Interesting. So different. Here, you experience maybe one nurse. Yeah. You maybe. know what I mean? <laughs> I had three. Who will maybe say good morning to you. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So, like, no, only yeah. like the. F- you know, I think. I didn't even. I think going into it, 
like I there was never once in my mind that I thought oh they wasn't up to speed or yeah they they didn't have the you know the, it wasn't going to be sanitized it never for once sketch yeah it yes. doesn't sound sketch at all yeah yeah because I feel like sketch to me is like leaky pipes and like mm. rust and like yeah. you know like all these things that you're thinking like yeah. third world country where like you were going to like the rich part of the third world country yeah. where that was not so the case good. yeah and then what was what was nice is that i did have a girlfriend that went the same time as me but it wasn't planned so she was having her sex change like that was 45 minutes away from I was but I still took a cab to go and see her so like we had dinner together and then the day she checked into her um hospital to go through her um her change I went to see her and then the next day I had my surgery wow so I never did get to see her after I came out because she was really far. But I wanted to be there yeah. for her when, before she went, you know, under the blade. Because I think she's, her person didn't come in until, like, seven days later. I think when she got checked out or the day before she checked out of the hospital is when her person came. Because it's hard, you know, to really have somebody come for your entire... Yeah. I don't know what is... I, I want to say her requirement was to stay maybe three or four weeks in Thailand. For her, her procedure she did. Wow. Gina, did you have a question? My question was, like, going back to your uncle, like your uncle was um, very influential in your life. Do you feel like that also um, kind of supported you in your transition? Like, knowing you had such, like, a close family member that had the same kind of, you know, like... You know, it's experiences that you could kind of. It's super hard to, to say. Um, I want to say Uncle was not supported so much by his mom and dad, but he still right. he lived with them. Okay. Um. Everybody loved him. Right. Everybody loved him. My grandma loved him too, but I think there was still that fine line of loving him and supporting what he did. Mm. Um. I never. Yeah. I think. I think. I was young yet, so I never really got to see the true colors of that end. Yeah. And for me, like, I was definitely my grandma's baby, mm. you know? And, like, grandma always, like, protected me. You know, I was clearly the her punahele. Mm -hmm. Picture top black and white. Oh. That's me on grandma's lap. That she's kissing. Yeah, she's Aww. kissing. You know, like, all the, we were, I was the youngest of our generation, but I was definitely the the child that got away with, like, you know, yeah, murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, everybody else would get dirty licking. Yeah. <laughs> she used to tell them that I was too cute to hit. <laughs> she couldn't hit me because I'm too cute. Aww. But so, you know, I don't, I never, I never really got to experience... Or I wasn't old enough to understand. Yeah. You know, I I could honestly say it felt like, you know, it was... I think she did support to a certain extent. And maybe my papa not so much. Mm -hmm. um, but 
you know, like stories that I hear today, it's like I kind of get more of the details, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, same with me, like my mom, you know, like when I did come out to my mom before I left, before I moved to Maui, like she, it was, it was hard for her. She, she told me her one question to me was, what if I'm in a phase or what if I'm going, you know, like this is just a phase for me. I'm going to phase out. And like, I told her like, no mom, this is not like, this is, this is me. Like, I know what I want. Right. And, and you did like, you really yeah. knew, like, did you know before or like that was kind of that year where you knew? Well, you know, I always knew. Like and you knew when you were like in kindergarten. I knew. Well, I think that age, like you really, it's not really like to that area where you have to define, right? Yeah. I think it's like third, fourth grade where you start going through like puberty and then you're doing like sex ed, you know, like that's where it comes a little bit more real for say. And then my, um, my parents went on vacation and I was staying with my aunt and then I went to school and I took her her high heels to school it wasn't like high heels it was like pumps Mm -hmm. but it was like the back was like it was like a boot but a slide in covered with like maybe a three inch pump on the back like a heeled mule yes and then of course you know the teacher freaked out right like because what is this child doing wearing this so it was like a big thing but I knew but I also knew that, you know, like, it was not something dad supported. You know? So, like, there was never a doubt in my mind. Like, I told you, like, kids would tease me in school. Like, oh, you're gay. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, like, I think by that time, I've been so exposed Mm -hmm. to, like, understanding all the different aspects and like a lot of the showgirls today like everybody's like oh how do you know them I'm like oh I know so and so because they used to come to my grandma's house (laughs) I used to see them try on their headgear piece you know like even to to this day like my uncle still builds showgirl costumes and I'm like uncle who are you building for this year Yeah, you know so like it's just like almost like something that we're accustomed you know yeah. it's a part of our lifestyle and even my mom like I, I tell my mom oh you know so and so she used to come to grandma's house because uncle built her costume <laughs> and mom would identify her by what she wore like what was her costume yeah so like she doesn't know her by name she just knows the person by the costume that she wore on stage yeah and then I would see Uncle at like Universal Show Queen be backstage building, you know. And then I would just walk backstage and be like, Hi Uncle, love you. Right. Yeah. So there was like a level of kind of like growing up with Right, like not necessarily like well, acceptance. Also, yeah, you weren't like first generation of this, it sounds like. Yeah. So I would say but so Uncle's not Uncle's not trans. Uncle's not trans. Yeah. So like I do have a cousin. I mean, I wouldn't say she's trans. She actually just got married, but so 
she was our first gay wedding of the family. Okay. And typically, it that's our clique. So it's Kavai, uh-huh. me, uncle, and then we have an older cousin, like Kioni. Like, we're the gays of the family. Kioni um, is older. Um, he just graduated with his PhD. He's living in um, Las Vegas. Um, I want to say he's been there for like maybe seven years, maybe. Um, but before, maybe five years, before he moved there, he went on a venture where he had a, a breakup with his husband. Um, and he ended up having a child. So it was like his own child had a surrogate mother and he has the daughter full time. So like that was his venture, Uh you know, in still being able to have his child, but being gay at the same time. Right. Right. So he lives in Vegas, you know, has a husband now, has his daughter, which is his pride and joy, you know, pursued his PhD, just graduated. And then my cousin Kavai... She recently just got married. I mean, not recently, maybe two years now. Okay. She was our like our first gay wedding of you know the family. So I think, like, as a family wise, it's not like I'm just isolated out because I'm the right. You know, like the trans. Um, but I mean, if you, I would tell people that I probably. I wouldn't say I had it the worst. Mm-hmm. I would say uncle probably faced a lot of the same issues as me because when he was club kid daytime when he would go to work he still had some of the things that lingered over so uncle would get acrylic nails like the real crazy kind like two three inches long and he would go work with like his full sets of nails uncle went through a piercing stage where he had like over 30 piercings on his face well and plus also different generation mm-hmm. yeah. you know like so it's just like I mean like like generationally obviously things have changed like how you were saying like the first like this was the first this was you know kind of all these things mm-hmm. but like 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 your uncle as in like one of your parents siblings mm-hmm. right like that's that generation really has a lot of uh-huh. guardrail like yeah like, this is how we, you know, like how you said your dad was very stern, mm-hmm. you know, and that, like, that was, like, probably the same generation and or the same family that he came from. Yeah. So it's like, and then, like you said, like, everyone accepts it. And I feel like this is very common. I feel like culturally or like also, I don't mean just we're like, whatever you want to do, but like, we don't all need to talk about it. That's just what he does. And when we all come together, like, just don't bring any or draw any attention to it even though he has three inch nails like we just yeah. kind of like yeah. we just kind of mm-hmm. like that's I don't know the uncle's doing his thing and then like we don't talk about it like yes. we just kind of yeah. so yes. I could see how and is that still kind of how I mean almost as a form of acceptance you know what I mean like like that is us accepting you could do whatever just don't make a whole scene every time we go somewhere is that like do you feel like your family really has like for you it sounds like they really accept you so of course you know it's like that that first initial years you know I think 
as they know it but I think now you telling it it becomes like a different level you know so now it's not only a level of acceptance it's a level of processing because now it just became real because I just confirmed it yeah. you know versus you thinking and then you thinking that there might be a chance that she's not you know but so now it's that transitioning point where th- they're transitioning on their own to really understand the process for themselves and I think that's where, you know, like me and my mom, like, I, I want to say the distance is what really brought us closer. Mm. Because now I moved to Maui. I'm not coming home. And when yeah. I do come home, I'm not seeing her. Yeah. Right. So she misses you. She misses me. Yeah. 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 You guys miss each other. Yeah. So like- it's like, that's when it starts to hit her. Like. You know, and at yeah. this time, I think we were like on MySpace, but my mom was not too much in like social media. So, like, she really wouldn't hear from me, you know, like, she would have to literally right. text me, but not necessarily I would respond, <laughs> you know. And I think for me as an individual, I never, I never once looked for acceptance from my dad because I just felt like I would never get it. Yeah. And I think I was a little bit heartbroken when my mom wasn't as on board as I felt she should have been. So it was really a letdown and a disappointment because if I thought I, for once that I would get supported would be definitely from her. But I felt like it was a little rough it was a rough start you know and I would definitely say today it's a different story you know like today like she loves me like a hundred percent right but I think for any child to have to go through that moment of not feeling loved and supported it's a little rough yeah you know and as I mentor parents today you know, like, they come and they ask me, like, what do I do? You know, like, how do I support this person, you know? Yeah. And it's difficult. Like, I think my first parent and child that I helped was transgender in Maui, but it was transgender female to male. Mm. So, like, I expressed to the child that, I cannot say I, I went through the same thing as you. Yeah. But I can tell you that we went through a very similar process. Yeah. You know, I said we didn't do the exact same way, but we went through the same steps. So, you know, like I shared stuff with the child. I shared stuff with the mom, you know, like, like hormones, you know, like. Yeah that's a part of transitioning yeah you know like growing up like everybody knew the doctor his name was dr rodwell mm-hmm. and and does this mean does this mean like you go okay so you get your breasts okay let's just so no, this, yeah, no, sorry so, this is like a whole because i just feel like i'm not sure like where or like 
Like, at what point do you start to take hormones? Oh, so hormones, like the girls, like you get encouraged to take hormones, like once you know you want to be trans. Yeah. So, like, there's like a thing, like growing up, like people would say, like, oh, she get hormone breasts. So, like, the hormones would actually build you a pocket, like where you had like an A cup. And some girls, were like bigger girls but they would have like a b cup mm-hmm. or like a c cup like you would be like super surprised but they would say like oh that's hormone titties mm-hmm. so like dr rodwell was like the well-known doctor where everybody would go to get their hormones so if you knew you wanted to be trans um growing up so like i didn't really take my first hormone shot until i was like maybe 19 um and we used to catch the bus to town it was like um the building that i remember was um like right next to like i think king street and keomoku and it was like a block in like in the back where pagoda hotel was but a little bit higher up to king street and he, he was like on the second floor on a corner unit and like we used to go in and all you used to see was like a bunch of vials on the guy. And it was like B12 or like the extra dial. So the B12 was like a booster. Yeah. And the um, extra dial was like your hormone shot. So like you could get like I a- was like, I thought, every, I mean, everyone takes B12. I feel like when I'm hungover, like you could take B12 or like vitamin C. So that was not the hormone. Like the hormone was the- Extra dial. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So he would- he would give you estradiol. He'll give you a a booster, oh. so you could have like a ten dollar shot, or you could have like a twenty dollar shot, or you could actually like take a whole vial, like not like once at once, but like you could buy a vial and then yeah. take it home and shoot it, you know. But so like this was like every two weeks we would come, and we would get shots at Doctor Rockwell's. So it's like our field trip, like ride the bus. Oh, where are you guys going? Oh, we're going Ala Moana. We're gonna go like Doctor Rockwell's. I mean, it was it was literally a thing, you know, like, everybody knew, like, you wanted to look pretty, you had to go to hormones. And, like, how quickly do they start working? I mean... Like, after your third one, like, after your... I mean... After a year of taking... Nah, I would say, like, you could, you could see results, like, within, like, your third shot. So, like, six weeks, four to six weeks, you can start seeing, you know, like... Like, just the basics. Like, a glow in your skin. Or, like, you know... I don't want to say, like... Maybe your hair. Maybe your hair doesn't grow as thick. Right. You know, like... But for, like, me... I think it was, like... More so of, like, a glow. Is what Mm -hmm. I really, like, identified and then, like, everybody would be, like, you know, you become more emotional. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, did like, it have an effect on your emotions? You know, like, I don't really, really remember. But, I mean, there is there is times that you do, do become, like, overly emotional. Yeah. Like, I see that, like, still to this day. Like, if I took a shot today and maybe on Wednesday or Thursday this week, I have like a meltdown at work. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. I took my medication. Yeah. 
is and side you effects. Need no script for this. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need. You don't need any type of prescription. Actually, you do. So he was a doctor, so he could. Okay. Right. He could administer or he could send you to the pharmacy to pick it up. But that was his way of like making his money. It's like he brought it in and he he sold it to the girls. But he did his own, you know, his primary care physician with the girls. But all of that was different because he wasn't charging anybody, you know, like a visit fee. Oh, okay. It was straight up like clinic, like roll up. I'm going to give you your shot. You know what I mean? So it's you're like you're gonna pay and you're gonna go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like he did it more of like a contribution to society versus like trying to make money because yeah. he really lost money if you think about it at the end of the day. <laughs> right? <laughs> he could be charging yeah. for like three hundred dollar well visits I or mean, something. Yes, yeah. like just the visits alone. You yeah. know, it's like one thing. But it's funny. When Dr. Rodwell died. <laughs> okay, okay. It's not. It's not funny the when Doctor Rodwell died, but <laughs> the girls, the girls used to. So the sex change girls used to meaning. They, they were all, they, they had their sex change or yes. they were waiting in line. Yeah. No, the okay. girls who had their sex change yeah. would tease the girls. Like, what you gonna do now? What you gonna do now? That's wrong with that girl. Oh. So, like, these are, like, inside jokes. Like, yeah. oh, she's a brick because Rodwell, yeah? But it's, like, like just the stupidest things. Like, that's what I remember. That's great. That's oh, gold. So funny. Yeah. No, that's well, <laughs> well, because there was nobody. I mean, once you start taking them, do you have to take them forever? Like, will you, will you have to take hormones forever? Or like, so I would say. I mean, I I'm not you know, I'm not a medical physician right. who knows you know like the terminology or whatnot. But what I see and what I understand is. I have friends that have sex change. Mm-hmm. They do still take hormones, just not as much. So in my mindset, like what I probably believe is that you're, you know, like you don't have a uterus, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so your organs is like still stems on like a, it's built for a male, right? So your body is generally producing testosterone on its own after you get your sex change not as much mm-hmm. but the built of your body is made to generate x amount of testosterone so your estrogen is to offset it right to basically make sure that in your body you have more estrogen than testosterone mm. but i know like you get to a certain point i want to say the sex change that is like 20 years in I don't hear of them taking the shots so it's like really like if like your body evolves to yeah Yeah. you know I don't know if well doesn't like over time too like testosterone starts to fade just like women's estrogen starts to fade yeah so yeah 
So maybe that's what it is, you know. But I know people that do, and I know people that don't. So for sex change, is that is it basically like like if you're gonna transition to being a woman, is it just those two surgeries that are the primary, like the breasts and then the sex change? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is your primary, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I do see like a the, lot of the plastic surgery. Right. And so the, the obvious. So the more demand is definitely girls wants their breasts so that they can feel a little bit more feminine they can use the more revealing tops you know like and still have that just that that feminine presence yeah you know essence so you have like that's just curves that's just like the first step right and then your sex change is like i mean there's this is like a whole nother category, but there's girls who want their sex change and there's girls that don't want their sex change, mm-hmm. you know? And I think this goes into, in like sexuality with, I know queens who date other transsexuals, say, she is a male to female she dates a female to male Mm. but they have sex and that's heterosexual sex Mm. instead of homosexual so i mean we won't go down that avenue (laughs) because that's just a whole different tier but that's just a prime example of some girls decides to still keep their their birth given parts and then there's other girls that's like no we're good you know what I mean like I'm ready change it up you know what I mean like this is what I want I know what I want you know but typically the girls who keep it is because they they use it sexually you know and like some girls that work the streets yeah that's what they call their money maker Mm -hmm. like people have fetishes on that people will pay them to do these type of you know like prostitution like this is real yeah this is like typically as a young girl this is like your first line of work Mm -hmm. you know like this is what you get exposed to you know like it's the struggle of somebody having a real nine to five and being able to get hired as a transsexual And then when you can't get a real job, the only thing you know is to prostitute, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's where a lot of girls fall back to, is to prostitute. The money is good. It's very dangerous. Yeah. You know? And it just becomes like a comfort area for some of the girls. And then when they stay in it for too long, I feel like, they go off the wrong path. Mm-hmm. You know, they get mixed up in the drugs. And then, you know, like... There's no coming back. That's just the downhill. Yeah. You know, I know old-timers to this day. They're like professional prostitutes. Yeah. They do that for a living. You know, like... I don't know if you guys ever saw the HBO special. The Downtown Girls. Mm-hmm. Like, they feature... Like real street walkers, mm-hmm. you know, and like 
they have homes. They have cars. They drive really nice luxury cars because it's really a lifestyle. And then when you get your your regulars, you know, it just becomes a routine. Yeah. And it's like you're just servicing the same person where then you're not really worried of being murdered or mm. you know, like if they if they don't know that you're trans. Like they take care of you. Yes. Yeah. It's like a sugar daddy but on regulars. a yeah. On a business <laughs> basis too. Do you know um do you know anyone that um like heads like had to do that job but then like it went bad? I mean I knew I I know like girls that went missing. Wow. Like girls on the mainland like got murdered. I mean, I cannot say that they were doing it, but we can only assume yeah. that they were out dating, they were pooching, mm-hmm. you know, went up with the wrong guy. Um, for one of the, like, one of the things kind of that we were talking about before, too, were, like, about hate crimes against transgender people, and um, I know that you had had a friend who, like, um, who died, um, from a situation like that, like, do you feel like that's a that was a common thing, or that was like a freak accident? And was that because do you feel like it was because she was a trans woman, or just because he was a psycho? So her her specific situation is different. So hers is really looked at as a domestic violence case, not mm-hmm. a hate crime. Okay. And why? It's because this person was like her husband Mm -hmm. this was like somebody who loved her Mm -hmm. which this is common you know like people do get murdered by their lover like somebody who you supposed to love like murders you yeah you know this is common in a you know in a lgbt lifestyle because of jealousy Mm -hmm. you know like i think in regards to hate crime like it's real like we see it around the world we see it on tv we hear of how many people die you know it's the numbers like the statistics like worldwide so in november they do like a transgender day of remembrance and like usually typically you know it's definitely for the lives that were lost like through hate crimes Mm. and like just listening to the stories of like the amount of people that die in a year through a hate crime it's like ridiculous and then like in honor of these people we do like a whole presentation like it's a two-hour showing we used to do it in person um now you know it went on zoom but we do it a facebook live but basically, we stand in a line, and we go up to the screen, and we read the person's name, and then we read how that person died. So, like, they tell you, like, was the person stabbed? Were they shot? Were they stoned to death? You know, and, like, this is, like, worldwide, and it just, like, really baffles you to, like, really think that that is still happening today. Yeah. You know, it's, like, you would think, like, 
maybe 20 years ago, you know, even 20 years ago, that was rough to get away with. Yeah. You know, like, but it's still happening in like parts of the world. And I will say a lot of place. I mean, the places that really stood out was like Brazil. Mm. Like this is like, it makes me even like second guess if I want to travel there. Oh. Like just because the amount of people I hear that died in Brazil for being trans. I'm like, oh, I don't think I ever want to go there. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. what if they murder me on vacation? <laughs> right. Like, like how, how you know, wow. Yeah. Uni's situation, you know, that was her husband. He was young. He's 27. She was in her late 30s. You know, very pretty, very attractive, very mind strong. You know, she was definitely a street worker. Right? Even with still being with him? Well, I don't know what the arrangement oh, was, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, like, if you're not yeah. going to support her... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, you if know, you're like, not going to get me all the things that I need yes. to live the way that I want to live, I can make some money. So, I want to say, it's very the type where... Do it, but don't tell me about it. Mm. My personal opinion. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Um, but the night he took her life, he was, he was high. He said he was high on ice. Um, she came home. She's a partier too. She's a very, she's Cuban and her, her mentality is that she's not going to stop. Mm -hmm. She's going to keep drilling you and drilling you. And like not let it go. And I think she just worked him to his last nerve. And when he blew up, he blew up. Mm. You know? And I think they both were unhealthy for each other. You know? Definitely does not justify what he did to her. Right. You know? I think in the beginning, it's just like... It's trauma. Because living in Hawaii not speaking Spanish mm -hmm. and not knowing how she died mm -hmm. was like the spin for me mm. and like I kept digging mm -hmm. I was like googling news reports yeah. like it took me six hours to literally find what I wanted mm -hmm. and how I found it is her name Yuni. They mm -hmm. used it in an article, but it was in a Spanish article. Oh. And I took the article. You Google Translate? No. Oh. I sent it to a friend. Oh. And I said, Can you translate this for me? He ended up calling me and he didn't know I knew the person. Uh -huh. And he was reading it to me. And like, this was very descriptive. It was like, um, it said she um, she was found dead on the floor right. in her her Miami apartment um, and it said um, it it's um, re it's been or it's visually seen that she had um 
34 stab wounds. And like, just like in detail, like, yeah. saying that it was a knife and a fork was used. Yeah. I saw rumors, nothing in the report stated where she was stabbed, but there was people that said she was stabbed in her face. And, like, that just kind of, like, kills me. You know, like, I knew her. She used to come to Maui. She used to stay with me. Mm-hmm. We met because she ran a pageant in Hawaii. The Universal Show Queen pageant, which is our biggest pageant. She came one year. She never went. She went back. She did her homework. Uh-huh. And she came back. Bitch, clean the house, girl. <laughs> <laughs> she came for the win. But she's Cuban Mm. she's very similar to our culture Mm. you know she's very you know like family oriented I always knew her for caring for her grandma you know super sweet always giving you know she was like drop dead gorgeous she's very pretty she definitely had a mouth like she would just tell you she wouldn't hold back so she would come in for the pageant and after the pageant is done she would come Maui for like a week and she used to stay with us That's awesome. so I think when she did pass it really like hit home for me Yeah. you know like cause it could be for me what I think what really hit me the hardest is that it was her husband and this year or last year I got out of a toxic relationship mm. and I looked at it as that could have been me mm. you know like he could have went psycho and fucking killed me mm-hmm. and like I'm seriously I was the one that basically made him move to Hawaii mm-hmm. he was in Vegas I made him up and leave I wasn't leaving for him mm-hmm. he came here but same things like you said, mouth, like don't talk back, doesn't mm-hmm. listen, like has kind of that feistiness too, like where that's kind of just a part of who you are, but that like the tables can turn so quickly. And then I, I think like another thing that I'm all, like, kind of the difference between, or like this weird line between hate crime and also domestic violence, like they were together. You know, so it wasn't like, I hate you because, like, you're yeah. different than me. Like, I hate you because I actually love you and I, and et cetera. So, I mean, that is, like, such a, I feel like that's another thing. That's another thing, too, is, like, a lot of trans people are in relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, like, like, oh, it was a hate crime. Like, yeah, I mean, it came from a hateful place, but, like, they were also together, yeah. you know? So it was more of, like, a, which I, I think is... You know, I, I think that people don't, there's still so much humanness, you know, just because like people choose to live alternative lifestyles, mm-hmm. like they're still going through a lot of the, um, okay. So we just took a short break and we're back now and we're starting to talk to Risha about all the details of having a sex change operation here in America. Her story is one that she's currently living in today. And again, we are so thankful to Risha for opening up to us and allowing this platform for her to share her story. So 
here's where that conversation started off. Is you can actually get a sex change through your insurance. You pay, you know, whatever your copay is, um, but really is completely minor to what you would pay outside, right? So, like, I know people who paid up to like forty thousand wow. dollars for like a sex change. Wow, that's most, the going rate. Most people that was in America in Colorado. Okay. Most people pay in the rate of between ten and little under twenty. In Thailand, or like in another country, yeah, in a- Thailand, Canada. I don't know anybody who got a sex change in Mexico. I don't know. Oh. I know people got breasts in Mexico, not sex change. But Canada and Thailand is the very popular places for people who got sex changes maybe in the 80s and 90s. I would say about 2000, like late 90s and like early 2000s was like more like the Thailand. And then I would say within the last 10 years... A lot of girls have been getting their sex change through a doctor in San Francisco or another doctor in Oregon or a doctor in Colorado. Those are the three places in the United States that I know of people that go to. Um, so I started my journey maybe a little over actually two years. And I think the delay of mine is definitely COVID. Mm. So your first step... Um, is definitely to um, be connected with this specialist. Um, for me, he's at Kaiser Mauna Lua. His name is Scott Denny. Um, he is like the specialist um, that basically refers you off, but he he houses you through your entire process of the, the program. So my first step is definitely with him he controls my hormones right so he prescribes me my hormones he does my quarterly um blood checks to make sure that my levels are proper and then after the hormone process then he puts you out to like a psychologist so then you get evaluated by the psychologist and i think you need two Opinion. So you see two different psychologists that have to clear you that, you know, before you go on this process, like you're in the right state of mind, you know, because like there's really no turning back, right? How long are those meetings? I want to say my, it's very like talk story. Yeah. Okay. You know, like it was super chill for me. Um, I did it here at Kaiser um, Maui Lani. And I want to say my meeting was probably set for like an hour and a half. Okay. Or maybe she blocked two hours and maybe we only use hour and a half. But it was like super chill. It was just like sharing my lifestyle. Yeah. Asking me questions. Um, but I mean, really, it's... I felt like she was going more to... Um, like when, how old I was. Um, what kind of toys I... I gravitated to, you know, playing. And then she wanted to also know some of my my struggles and like 
difficult times in my life, how I coped with it, you know, like what made me, what gave me the courage to build through it. And that that's like a lot of stuff she was digging for. So I think in like her mindset, it's just to, I mean, I just assume that it's that you're strong enough to go through it. And then also strong enough to understand that if something doesn't work out, that you're not going to try to commit suicide or something. That's just me thinking wow. out loud. Yeah, that's what you got from it. But so after that, and then you get, uh, um, he sketches you, um, you get like electrolysis appointment. So like you cannot have hair around certain areas. So like I think the base and then um anything on the testicles and then like maybe like an inch around the base you cannot have any hair so you have to go to electrolysis to remove the hair you know electrolysis is electric each follicle one by one right like with the thing yeah like the light like, like no no like a needle like z- oh yeah. You're Is thinking that... laser hair removal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That so would sorry. Be like, Not the same that's thing. That's like a little like like a little half size phone, and it's just going. Yeah. 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 Okay. And that's no. like hot. It's not like this. Is, electrolysis is follicle by follicle. Oh. Yeah. I used, I did it one time, and I was like, Nah, I'm good. Wait, like clarify. we're gonna be here all day for me. First of all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and two, that yeah. shit was painful. Mm-hmm. It was like. Stab is okay, so, so they don't like um no numbing or nothing. They no, give you a numb cream. Oh, they do. But the numb cream really doesn't work. Yeah, and it wears so I know I know girls that shoot like what? numb like numbs themselves. Oh, um, with like needle like Novocaine kind of thing. With Novocaine. Yeah. Before they go to their 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 like session. So that when they're getting like freaking zapped, it's that they don't feel anything. How long are the electrolytes? The how long are those sessions? And then how many do you have to do? Well, everybody's different, right? Oh, so yeah. it's based on your hair. Um, I know they write you your prescription for a whole year. Wow, so that's a big part of the process then, mm-hmm. like the hair removal. Yeah, your hair needs to be gone before yeah. you can do anything. I know a lot of them. They kind of consider just going like bald. But that's not what they cover, right? So ideally, you're supposed to only be in the dimensions. Um, but I know a lot of the girls that just kind of tell, oh, let's just do it all. Yeah. While we're here, this is what you want. Yeah. My other girlfriend, she lucked out because the electrolysis lady had a laser machine too. Mm. So, like the higher, the definitely the permanent areas she would electrolysis but anything above she would just laser also when you get laser it doesn't work so well if your skin is darker and your hair is dark it ha- it's better contrast if your skin is light, light and your hair is dark so it, it's darker sometimes down yeah. there mm-hmm. so you, it doesn't laser doesn't always work yeah yeah, it's crazy. Well, and it's expensive. Okay, well, but okay. insurance covers yeah this. So you pay like a co-pay visit okay. for this. Um, and then after you go through that or through a certain section of this, 
then you would have a consultation with the doctor, which is Dr. Doogie, and he is located in um, Oregon, and he works for um, OSHU, Oregon State Hospital University, or something over there. But so he is the partner doctor with like my um, Kaiser one with oh. Kaiser. So Kaiser flies you there for your consultation. So you they pay your way, they pay your hotel, and you go and you meet Doctor Doogie. You do your consultation with him, and then he sets your surgery date. You come back, and then he sets your surgery date for. Say like if I did my consultation today. Typically, they say his um, his bookings is full, and you can't get it to next year. Oh, okay. That's just sort of the typical standard talk. Yeah. So if they they typically tell you like you have to wait a year before you can schedule because he's all booked up. Yeah. Uh, kind of getting like your annual exam. <laughs> Okay, and then, okay, so you're like, fine. So then you wait, you wait one more year. And then in the year that you're trying to do it, there's COVID. Is that Yeah, of- so actually my, my COVID, so my, my initial date was not surgery date. My initial consultation was like March 16th. 2020. 2020. Jeez, wow. Right everything. So, like, and immediately, Oregon. like, you know, like, stop. Because they were going off before we were going off, yeah, right? Oregon got hit hard. Portland. So, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, we'll just put this off. So then it moved, like, from March, it moved to August, August to November, and then November t- into this year. And then, so now I'm I'm actually scheduled for the first week of April, but we're kind of on the fence right now because we're going back and forth because the doctor doesn't want to take me like in person, but I'm pushing my doctor to push him because they want me to do a video visit and I told them no. Like I told you no one year ago. Like, I'm not going to tell you, yeah, one year later. No. Like, I told him, like, for me, this is a lot more than a consultation. This is meeting somebody and making sure that, you know, I feel safe yeah. with him conducting this. You know, like, he answers my questions. And I'm sorry, but, like, you're going to have to put the camera there? Like... Are they gonna say like okay? Because in the consultation, they're yes. gonna want to like see you yes. unrobed and be like, okay, what are we working with? Like, what are we gonna? Yeah. So you're like, how do you even do that on the camera? Like and yeah. vibe too. Like yeah. it's such a weird. Well, yeah, like, like so. She was saying she was like, I have to feel safe with you, let alone like how is this so gonna work? So I, I told the Good for you um, for standing up. Well, for I told the nurse. I told the nurse that I want Dr. Denny to talk to Dr. Doogie because one, I, I want him to understand three things. I want him to understand that one, I waited a whole year for my consultation and I think he owes this to me in person. 
to show my commitment. Mm -hmm. And then I said, the second thing is one that he should know that I'm vaccinated Mm -hmm. and two, he should know that I work for Kaiser in a hospital. So really, if you're going to pick somebody out of the bunch, you're going to pick somebody in the same field. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like somebody who can advocate for this program, somebody who can, you know, be a testimony to it. Mm -hmm. So like I told her, she needs to take that back to him and her and Scott needs to talk about it. Yeah. So I have not got the ratio. You're not going. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm kind of crossing my fingers that he takes me. And so there is nobody in Hawaii who does sex changes. No. So you just you have to find the specialists that are here that are connected to the ones that. Well, you no, so they ref- guy will right. The- so they refer you yeah. to yeah. the doctor. Yeah. So it's yeah. whoever your medical has partnership with. Mm. So HMSA uses somebody in San Francisco. Right. That's what that's what you were saying. So it just depends the connection with the doctors. Wow, wow. So it could be. I mean, it could be very soon. Oh yeah. Well, for a consultation. Consultation. Yeah, yeah. So as early as the first week of April, crossing, and then I would say they would make me wait a whole year. Yeah. Like the That's first quarter, standard. you know. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'd be like, "Okay, let's exp- expedite her." Right. You know. But. That's exciting. I know. Yeah. That's are really you? Do you feel like? Or like? Do you just try to like not keep your hopes up? Or, or so you know like actually I told myself that I'll have a sex change by the age of 30 I, I turned 30 it didn't happen I was like that's okay you know then I said okay well I'm gonna do it before 35 you know this year I, t- I turned 35 because I know I'm in the steps I'm okay with it mm-hmm. you know like I don't it's if and it's if, obviously a process. If I could set the date, right? It would have it would happen already, right? Mm-hmm. But because it's out of my control, yeah. I just I'm in the process. Right. I'm just going through the steps and like, hey, I'm on my way. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I was just thinking, like, what's one thing that people need to hear more about when it comes to trans people or the trans community, do you feel like other Gina and Pomais that are listening or just, is there anything that you really feel like, especially with, you said, um, Wednesday, the 31st being national, say the holiday again. I don't want to get it wrong. International. International. Transgender day of visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, in regards to the specific day, you know, like really the purpose is to, um, before this day was um, brought forward to celebrate, the only day that was out there was um, Transgender Day of Remembrance. So Mm -hmm. to remember the people who were murdered. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this person who um, brought this to light it says, like, why do we have to celebrate people when they're dead? Mm-hmm. You know, like, we have so much successful transgender people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, here in our state, like, Kim Koko Iomoro, mm-hmm. she's, like, 
the first transgender in politics mm. you know like in Hawaii you know we have like Kumuhina mm-hmm. you know like what two films already mm-hmm. you know like she shared her lifestyle yeah we have you know I'm not sure if you got Janet Mock she's a producer of Pose she's born and raised in Kalihi you know and then we have like professional makeup artists yeah Wendy Miyake like painting celebrities in Hollywood you know and then you have like Cassandra Colby's a professional hairdresser for Janet Jackson you know like you have so much talent mm-hmm. like these people bring so much light you know and they're so successful and I think what's what's hard is people don't understand the, the real struggle mm-hmm. you know like I don't know what their struggle was I hear rumors mm-hmm. of what their life was like before they're in their shoes but as like I said like people have two choices they have the choice of trying to five, find a 9 to 5 that will give them the time of day because they're transgender and give them the opportunity or they're forced to be a prostitute you know yeah. and work the streets to make a living so I think when we come across like really successful hardworking people you know like we should acknowledge them in that light of it's like a disadvantage and they won their struggle you know like here in our community our oldest I want to I should say oldest <laughs> <laughs> should kill me but um her name is Ponehele Ho'opi'i Marie um she is a um a juvenile parole officer so she works with kids she's also like a foster mom mm-hmm. where she does like foster cares like short term so like if they a child right. get pulled yeah she would be like the person they call to like house somebody tonight yeah you know like so like she's she's transgendered now she went through her change within the last two years um but she's in in our community making a difference Mm -hmm. you know turning youth juvenile kids lives around showing them the importance of following the laws staying out of trouble yeah you know turning punks into young men like that's what she's doing for our society today. Yeah. And then you have Tiari Sua, who works for Maui AIDS Foundation. She works in our um, our youth programs. You know, helping kids to cope with the harassment, to have a better understanding of this their lifestyle that they're in. How how do they deal with it? How do they deal with their parents? How yeah. do they come out to their parents? Yeah. You know, she leads Maui AIDS Foundation in this specific area. Mm-hmm. 
all three of us sit on a statewide board for like we call it Ka'aha Mahu, which is you know uh, I don't want to say a coalition but it's just basically a group of transgenders or transsexuals because everybody's not transgender and that we share our struggles through different colonies and states and share our resources so that we're able to help the community to provide the services that is needed right you know so i think through this day on wednesday you know like for me like that's like i want to honor them for the work that they do here in our community you know and like in oahu like we have people who represent like statewide like taffy Mm -hmm. like she she worked for um the life foundation before they um transitioned to h um h3rc or something like that um hawaii harm health harm reduction or something like that there were like three organizations that came into one life foundation child program and one more but she left her position there to take like a nationwide position where her company is like based in New York but she works from home but she advocates for trans for like nationwide if there are if there are young people or families who um, are maybe dealing with these kinds of things like let's just say on Maui where should they go to get more information and get more support like I think right now, like, just, you know, like, I've just been seeing, especially in the media, like, a lot more young kids, like, children, Mm -hmm. basically, kind of, where it's, and I always wonder if it's, like, you know, like, of famous people, like, a lot, I feel like in the last five years, for sure, Mm -hmm. like, a lot more of um, transgender, transsexual kind of um, people coming out. Like for here, if people are looking for support, are the should they go to these organizations? I mean, like if they can't find someone in their family or in their mm-hmm. group, so that they don't, you know, commit suicide or they don't like go into prostitution or you know, like these kind of like because I think especially for young people, um, I mean probably all people, but like where do you? I mean as sort of like we're rounding out our session, like you have come to this point in your life where like, you're not free to share. Mm -hmm. You're not, you like this whole, like you let me ask you anything, even all the questions that we're never supposed to ask. (laughs) Like how, I mean, and you were obviously supported and like learning your story and you did have so many ups and downs, but like for, for people who are just like kind of moving through um, where do you think they should start to like kind of get more support? Oh, I think it's you know it's not the easiest subject or situation to deal with or to discuss. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing somebody needs to identify is you know you want to find somebody that you're comfortable speaking with, right? Because speaking to a complete stranger can be completely odd definitely like you said 
reach out to a family member somebody who can provide support from within your walls you know and if you don't have that I would say you know like reach out to organizations in your community mm -hmm. Maui AIDS Foundation you know on Oahu the um, Kua'ana project you know which is the trans program there where I think they have like four different trans mentors on program where you know I don't think anybody would ever not share or help somebody to kind of succeed in this area for me my first person that I mentored here mother and child it was referred from the executive director of the um, justice for children's program mm. so they went to him and he referred them to me they felt comfortable you know and I was very transparent you know about it like I don't know how much I can really help but I can definitely talk to the subject you know mm -hmm. and like even the mom like I helped her to understand of transitioning her son onto hormones mm -hmm. you know like I talked to her about name change mm -hmm. and I actually got to see her go through these steps you know, I was invited when they officially changed Jay's name. I was, I didn't make it, but she did invite me. She talked to me about, um, I talked to her about putting him on hormones and she was scared because she was going through a divorce. Mm. She thought that the judge would use it against mm. her because she was supporting him I was like that is the most insane thing I said the judge could look at the kid and tell the kid is your mom supporting you and what you wanted to do mm -hmm. the kid gonna say yeah what the judge gonna think the judge gonna be like oh you're not supposed to do what the kid asked you to but do but I can also see like in this day and age everyone is just like so afraid of so many things no definitely you know so and i i feel like that's why even like for this subject like when me and gina were talking about like different subjects like we we were just kind of exploring like what are subjects that are kind of like people are afraid mm -hmm. they're afraid to ask but this is happening in our communities these are and these, they need to know more and they need it. to know more i mean like yeah. i have learned loads and again like it's like not just because we're friends because like if you're just friends with someone it doesn't matter all of these things don't matter but like to have a platform where like what are these things that people have don't even know like i have learned so much like the short drive from yeah. here to my car i mean i don't know if we're gonna just be quiet and just, I know. Be, like, just be thinking but but that also that if people are not like we could have just been making it all up on our own and thinking that we thought we knew or that we, yeah, thought we knew where, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful. Um, I, I mean, for just even the space to sort of like ask these crap questions so like we can be better informed. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that is like such a huge thing. Like 
This was so informative. Yeah. Gina, any final thoughts as mm-hmm. we're... I just... I I agree with what Komai said. Like, I just feel like definitely grew in my awareness. And it kind of always confirmed, like, what I... what I, I've met you, like, maybe a few times in hung out. And I always got this impression that you have this, like, extreme understanding of who you are. And that... And when I hung out with you, it exuded like a confidence or you were just like, you were like there and just really present. And I feel like hearing you talk about it, I'm like, okay, that's where it comes from because you've gone through life and you don't need to pretend you're anything you're not, or you don't need Mm -hmm. to be like friends with anyone. Like, like, you know, you just walk into the room and you're who you are. And it's, it's really awesome. I hope more people need to have that kind of confidence and awareness of themselves. Well, and even kind of in this interesting, just especially because, like, the subject matter is, again, like, scary. I feel like the subject matter is scary. Like, we're not just going to, one, who are you going to go ask? Like, I wouldn't just go go and call Justice Department and be like, right. hey, can I talk to one of your people? It was because, like, I have a close friendship with yeah, you. Yeah, a connection. Yes. But then also that, like, in me just you being my friend, like, I always feel super safe when you're around. Like about any subject. Like if there is like if there is like a subject, I'm like I'm gonna go get Raisha, yeah. and I'm gonna center it because like you're also not afraid. Well, like, and you're to like ask. a different kind of like everyone's an educator, you know, and you're an educator in your realm of of your things, you know. Komai is, and I am like okay, classroom educator, but I mean that everyone Same, Gina, is. You're fully an educator. No, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I'm cla- obviously, but like, there is like fields outside mm-hmm. of classroom walls where you're yeah. still an educator for, and it sounds like for you, it's like you're really putting your life into other people's lives to help them be better. And this is just, and it's I tell, really inspiring. You know, like, when I do stuff like this, like, I'm very selective, you know, mm-hmm. like, I want to know what are they using the material for, you know, who's your demographics, mm-hmm. you know, like, what are they trying to achieve? Because I feel like this is my story and this is very personable. Right. And I tell people, like I speak at conferences and I tell them, like, I don't I don't share this with you so that you can turn around and harass me in the streets like next week or two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. I share this information with you to educate you the real struggles of this lifestyle. Yeah. Like, my goal is that you leave here being a better person and knowing to better work with, better assist, better help, and better understand somebody who lives the shoes that I live in. Yes. You know, it's just, you can never know or understand this unless the story is told or shared. And you know, like, this is your chance to take the information that was shared today and like put it into action or you can be the same ignorant person you was and continue to you know demean or like to like not discriminate but like to continue to harass somebody for being for living their true life right you know and i just hope that this information like you know, you don't have to. You don't have to support someone. You don't have to believe what they believe in. But I think 
overall what you need to do is you need to respect someone mm -hmm. for what they do mm -hmm. and you know we may not agree in life but at the end of the day it's their choice and their decision and you know they will live their life you know with or without you so you can either make this seamless or you can make this difficult right you know like the choice is up to you yeah that's great no i think that's period per <laughs> on that guys there is episode two of season two yep. with Risha on trans visibility pretty much and we just wanted to like we're so grateful that like she really let us take a like really dig deep into like the life and and her story yeah, and the topic of what it is is so vulnerable and she was just really you know honest and educational and all that she shared transparent i know that i learned i know that you learned yeah. i know that what you just heard right now <laughs> you wanted to know if i was gonna ask yeah you wanted to know like because at the beginning and i feel like this is a real thing you want to know like oh well this is what i would ask and she really let us ask anything and i'm so thankful and everyone's story is different. So mm -hmm. this is just Rachel's story, and we are so thankful that she shared it with us. Mm -hmm. So um, again, thank you for being our listeners and following along on our podcast. We really appreciate all that you you know, do for listening and mm -hmm. subscribing if you have the opportunity to subscribe and or leave us a comment in our podcast format, whatever which one you listen to. And follow us along on Instagram at something along the lines HI, where you can keep up to date with all of our new episodes dropping there. All right. Bye. Bye.